podcast for a uh, Friday, uh, the uh, Bob McCallum podcast. Uh, yours truly, along with uh, what's his name over there, John. Um, oh, thank you. That's very good. Cannon, <laughs> as best I recall, still in Edmonton, huh? Yes, sir. Living a, living the dream, Bob. Uh, well, uh, stay safe. Um, still cold there, I imagine. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, he is the uh, general manager of the St. Louis Blues and now the general manager of the Canadian Olympic team. Doug Armstrong joins us, I assume, from St. Louis, Mr. Armstrong? Uh, no, Phoenix, Arizona today. Oh, really? Do tell. Yeah, we're, oh, in the, we're, in the midst, we're in the midst of our seven-game series with the Coyotes. Can you imagine <laughs> that you play in a regular season you're, you, because, of the, because of COVID and because of the schedule, you play the same team seven straight times? <laughs> Well, we got to we got to play better. I know that, or else it's going to be a sweep for the Coyotes. Yeah. Hey, but your sweeps are supposed to be four, not seven. You know? <laughs> uh, obviously, we want to get to the Olympic team and all that kind of stuff. I, I'm, you know, one of the things that that we've opined here on this program with this unique schedule that exists, where you're playing teams multiple times um, in succession. Is there any any relationship to what you go through in a playoff series, given that? You know the guys get to know each other. They, you know, um, you you have familiarity with what the other team is trying to do. Um, obviously, hostilities are always possible when two teams play each other on a regular basis. Is there any similarity? Have you noticed? I think early in the season, you you, you do feel that in these back-to-back -back games. Uh, it's going to be interesting when you get maybe you know three quarters to two thirds to three quarters where your playoff fate is either is down in cement one way or the other it's going to be hard to play you know back to back if you if you're not playing for anything but right now with with everything that's on the line and everybody's still fighting you do see that animosity and uh, the understanding of each other uh when we got the information we we're going to play four in a row it seemed like a lot and then just a quirk in the schedule the teams we were supposed to play were minnesota and colorado and the team's Arizona, we're supposed to play with Minnesota and Colorado. So we just decided to keep this party going and play seven, seven of our eight games in a row. You know, Doug, one of the interesting things about the way the divisions are aligned is that you really have to pay attention to, in your situation, to seven other teams. How, how do you keep track of the rest of the league like you used to be able to, uh, like, like you used to have to? You used to have to watch what, you know, Winnipeg did. Well, Winnipeg's not in your division anymore. You used to have to take, pay attention to what, what the Rangers and Washington did because you'd play them a couple of times, but you don't have to do that right now. No. And really it's difficult to make trades too right now with the quarantining of each, of each place. So I'm fortunate actually my, uh, my moonlighting job allows me to, you know, you know, I have to watch, I want to watch those games a lot more intently than maybe I would if, if we just knew that we weren't going to play anybody different until you got to the final four, uh, it, it's certainly a difference. And, and, you know, I, I stay obviously in contact with our pro scouts uh, about potential trades, but it's, I think it's going to be a difficult market to just to do that. A it's hard to get a, if, like if we're to deal with the North division, it's hard to get a player across the border right now. Visas aren't as uh, expedited as quickly as they were in the past. And if you lose somebody for 14 days, that that's potentially, you know, five or six games. And, and that's a long time. So big decisions have to be made before making any, any trades. And then, um, no one's out of anything yet too. So no one really wants to make a trade until that happens. So you've seen yeah. a couple, but, but uh, it's not, it's not the normal season for sure. How, ad how advantageous has the taxi squad been? 
Uh, for us, it hasn't been a big deal because we haven't had any any COVID. Uh, we've had a few injuries now, which makes life a little bit easier, but it does come with its pitfalls too. Uh, traveling with 29 players is something we're not used to. It's, uh, you know, the coaches really would like to get their, their 18, maybe 19 skaters and two goalies on the ice for practice day. So now you're, you're trying to find extra ice time for different guys. You're sort of making decisions based on who's going to play with what given night. And that player that normally skates with your group might go into the taxi squad or, or you want to reward somebody that's having, uh, you know, a good practice to, to bring them up to the main squad. So it's a, it's nice to have them around because you don't have to fly guys in and out when you need them right now, we're a little bit hit by the injury bug. So it's great to have the extra players, but when everybody's healthy, it's a, uh, uh, it, it's something that we're trying to find to get used to. Obviously we like in St. Louis, we travel with a, another medical person, another equipment person, another coach, just to take care of the extra guys. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious, has there, have there, have you had any uh, conversations about deals where you had to think, well, I assume with Canadian teams specifically, but where you've had to really consider whether you want to make the deal because of the potential of, of a player sitting for 14 days? Yeah. You know, we're not that we're already in that, window now where teams are starting yeah. to get more active in conversations but uh, i'm always talking to our to our immigration people on okay uh, this is a canadian that lives in canada that's never been in the states what's that going to take this is a european player that has a double visa to, to cross what's that going to take uh, i know our visa people say can you just trade for americans it's so much easier <laughs> <laughs> well sometimes yes and the answer generally yeah. is that, no not all the time um, are you, are you, Doug, are you, uh, I, I know we, we've joked about the, the Arizona series here, but, uh, are you happy with your team right now? Uh, I wouldn't, we're, we're, we're accepting of our record, you know, but I think that we're like a lot of teams where you see really good play for you, you hope now it gets to 50 minutes. It's hard to play a complete game for 60, no matter what it is, but, what I've seen just watching our team and other teams that you can have flash to the dominant play for eight or nine minutes, uh, but it's hard to, it's hard to, to stop the other team from doing the same thing. So our, our, our special teams, uh, Johnny, haven't been good at all. Uh, and we need to, we need to improve that if we want to stay competitive with the top teams. And I think we will. I think when you look at our, our, our penalty kill, for example, you know, three of our, our best performers are gone, two retired, and Steen and Bullmeister and one decided to uh, uh, play somewhere else in Petrangelo. So it's it's not surprising that it's taken a little bit of time for that. Our power play, obviously, you bring a player like Krug in and, and you think that you're not going to miss a beat. Last year we were third, and this year the puck's just not going in. So we're just we're trying to find out who we are, and, it, and it's difficult with no training camp to find out who you are without every, everything being so meaningful. Well, even more importantly, and when you're talking about PP and, and PK, um, that's the kind of stuff you can work on in practice, and you get you don't get that the opportunity to have two or three days of practice with this schedule, right? No, I was talking uh, and just sort of watching the Vancouver situation. I think they played 16 or 17 games, and, and we're only able to have two practices in that time frame. And so when you want to um, – Craig and I were talking about this yesterday. So when you when things aren't going well, you want to have a good practice to sort of change the momentum in your own mind. Yeah. But when you're not practicing and all of a sudden you have a meeting and everybody's high five and after the meeting, okay, and then the first shift it doesn't work out, 
though it returns very quickly to the memory you had from your last game. So practice time is important. And unfortunately, we had some blocks in our schedule. We thought we were going to be able to take a some rest, but then follow that up with good practices. And that's now gone because of the rescheduled games we're going to have to make with Colorado and, and uh, Minnesota. You know, I've noticed a, a couple of times in a couple of Craig's uh, post-game press conferences, he, he's been a little angrier uh, of late. Um, how, you, maybe part of your job is to manage him a little bit, ma make sure that he stays. He has to keep, make sure the players are at a certain level and you have to make sure that he stays at a, at a certain level and, and on an even, even keel. Yeah, and, and Craig has built up a lot of uh, trust and equity with the players. Uh, and he understands what, what buttons he can push and what he can. Obviously, you know, just out, out of sport, it's, it's difficult to, uh, to be peaches and cream every night. And, uh, you know, you, I know, I know you as in the media and, and then the fans, they love, they love, they love the rawness of it, yeah. but sometimes things feel really good saying them. And then when you look back on them 12 hours later, you're saying, you know what, I might've been able to do something different. I'm not saying Craig's to that point at all yet, but right. you certainly want to make sure you're careful. It's easy. Like even for managers, when they're talking about players or whatever, that you, you understand that, that these, these words are going to be held out there for a long time and, and you're going to have to answer to them later. I, I always, I, I always, when you watch the post-game press conferences across the league or any sport, when the coach says, go ask the players, you're going, oh my goodness. Uh, <laughs> that, that's not the right thing. You're supposed to take the bullets. You're supposed to be the buffer. You're supposed to, that's part of your job, you know, coach. Well, and you're going to ask the players anyways. You don't need the coach to tell you. <laughs> that's right. <Yeah. laughs> With uh, Blues general manager, Doug Armstrong. Uh, I'm curious, it's a shorter schedule. It's not a, you know, it's not the regular 82 game schedule but it is condensed in terms of time frame. How conscious are you guys of that? And how many lines you use, how much ice time players get, all those kinds of things. We talk about it a fair bit as if it's a, a, a really significant factor. Is it? I think it is. Uh, and, and, you know, you just break down everything into, we break it down into segments. You know, what used to be a, a five-game segment is now a four-game segment. And so you, you can't, you, you can't like, we are no internally, we can't say, well, it's early. It's no longer early. You know, mm -hmm. we're, we're 20% plus into the season. Yeah. At some point you are who you are and you have to either accept that or alter it. Um, but as far as ice time, um, you'd like to be able to uh, manage the top players ice time, but with every game being so important, uh, you know, I understand how, how it can, you just have to play for today. Again, we go back to, uh, Bob, what you said about practice time, when you don't have practice time, you just have to sort of accept and, and hope that the guys can prepare, but you have to win the games. That's the most important thing. And uh, so it's difficult to, to, to manage the ice time the way that, that you might think you can, because when you're, when you're in a three, three game or a two, one game uh, up or down, you, you don't look at your best player and say, well, you might be a little bit tired tonight. Let, let's just try and win tomorrow. Uh, they look at you, you know, cross-eyed and certainly the rest of the, the team looks at you cross-eyed because, you know, managers look for tomorrow, players, players and coaches work for today. Well, the, one of the other theories that uh, we've always kind of subscribed to, and I say we is kind of a generic, yeah. is um, home ice matters. And home ice or home field for in, in any sport matters. And why? Well, there are idiosyncrasies with different buildings, arenas, um, bounces little things that players 
would get to understand and maybe be able to take advantage of. But we also perceive that the cheering of the home crowd provides a certain impetus uh, for performance. So we've now gone through an extended period of time, uh, including last year, where um, we have we we don't have crowds. And as viewers, I think we've sort of come. I know I have kind of become used to it. It doesn't I, it doesn't phase me anymore. What's your, what's the what, what's the players' reaction to playing in essentially empty buildings? Uh, that's interesting because when we went to the bubble in Edmonton for the playoffs, right. it was foreign. It was very foreign. It, exactly. It was very hard to get comfortable to to understand it. Uh, and then when we started this season, it felt normal, i.e., as normal as it can be. But I was talking to the teams that didn't, the seven that didn't get into it. And they were saying this is crazy. I've never experienced anything like it. So it's a so repetition. You know, you 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 do get to understand it now. I would say right now, um, you know, we were allowed to have fourteen hundred uh, fans in, and and it was nice to see faces. Uh, but it 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 no longer is an effect on the game. You just walk in and you just know what it's going to be, and and you have to prepare for it. It's going to be interesting to see how young players that have never played in front of fans respond to when these buildings get get filled up mm -hmm. you know there's so there's going to be a dynamic that we're all going to have to get used to and and hopefully sooner than later when we do have fans again and they're either cheering or booing as uh as they see appropriate but it, but it brings up the the real question is there such a thing as home ice i mean every every rink now is almost identical except the different colored tarps uh and so when you're at enterprise is there really advantage for you versus when you know you're you're in in glendale for these games against the coyotes uh, i would say that over the years the nhl has minimized the, the value of home ice it used to be in the face-off dots you know the home team put their stick down now it's depending on you know the, the position of the puck uh, really the only advantage right now is last change mm -hmm. that's that's the only significant uh a value of it but uh, I, I think it's always easier going from your house to the arena than going from a hotel to the arena. Right. Having having some of those things that that you take for granted that we don't take for granted anymore. Uh, but I think when the when the puck drops, it, it, it certainly minimized. Mm. Yeah, we used to spend a lot of time talking about sleeping in your own bed. I think that was the phrase that would everybody kind of used, and um, I'm just not sure whether that. I mean, I, I just don't know what what that means anymore. Uh, we want to spend some time and talk about uh, your new gig, uh, just a week old or so, uh, and that is um, running Team Canada. And we'll do that uh, in a minute when the podcast continues with Doug Armstrong. Doug Armstrong is with us on the uh, Bob McCowan podcast today. He is the general manager, of course, of the St. Louis Blues. And take, recently, take that hat off, Doug. Take that hat off. Put the red yep, and put the other <laughs> one on. Okay. Uh, recently, a week ago, um, appointed, anointed as the, um, I don't know what the exact title is, Managing General of uh, Team Canada for the uh, next Olympic Games. Uh, look, it's a simple thing, but it's got to be a big thrill, isn't it? Oh, yeah, it's, a, it's an unbelievable thrill. You know, being part of uh, Hockey Canada in any fashion, whether it's the uh, World World Championships, the Olympics, any event, the World Cup, it, it's a great thrill. It's certainly a different one when you're, you know, when managing the, the World Cup team had its thrills and certainly being part of the Olympic team at this level. Uh, but, you know, working and understanding from, from the people at Hockey Canada and Steve Eisenman, it really is a group effort. But any time you're, you're associated with Hockey Canada, it's, it's an honour. 
How is it different than running an NHL team? Uh, I th I think that an NHL team uh, you you understand that the, the the goal is a long way away and you're you're building a process. Uh, the building the process uh, for the world. Let's say you go to the World Championships. That that's that's much more like an NHL team because you have exhibition games. You have a long play-in round. You're together for a month. You get to know each other. This is now uh, get your team together. You have 13 days uh, from the you know 14 days from first to the last game if you play in the last game so you have to come up with uh, synergy quicker uh, and and it's it's easier in some fashion too because if players aren't getting what 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 they're used to they don't really it doesn't have enough time to fester and grow for anger to set in that they're not getting the ice time that they could if you're there for a month with them yeah this is a kind of a stupid question especially in the midst of COVID because I know none of us interact with other people on any kind of a regular basis but um, any sense of what it's been like in just the last week being a Canadian living in St. Louis, having been there, you know, in the U.S., working in the U.S. for many, many years? Any fans, anybody around you, any Americans suggesting that somehow you've, uh, you're a traitor because you, you happen to be a Canadian and are going to be going against their U.S. team in these, uh, these next Olympics? Yeah, I was just going back there. There's always uh, good ribbing from your friends that your neighbors, your the people that uh, sure. if you golf or whatever about, uh, you know, we root for you. Usually we're not going to root for you now, but uh, the, the, the peer group that you're with right now, with COVID, they're all very respectful and they understand it. But as it gets closer, you know, people, people want to see their home country win. I don't blame them. And uh, uh, I know what, what country I want to see win. Well, yeah. and, and particularly when you consider uh, what a what a real hotbed of hockey St. Louis has become for the Americans. And when you think of the impact that young American players coming out of, you know, uh, the, the hockey community that the Blues helped promote over the years, that's that to me is a, a fascinating little sidebar to this story. And also, yeah, we have Keith the Chuck here and both his sons. I, you know, I'm not uh, professing to understand what the Americans will do, but I, I would imagine they're going to be on their, their short list of players to play, you know. And so not only are they, you have Olympians, you have St. Louis Olympians going against, you know, our own team. And I know Keith was part of the Team USA Hockey at the World Junior on their management staff putting that together. And so there was that general ribbing that we had with him too. So it's uh, St. Louis has done a great job of, of uh uh, players that, that played here, stayed here, coached. I think it started with Bowles McCray. I know Al McGinnis uh, coached. You got Jeff Brown, coach, Chuck coaches, Jack Manani McDonald are coaching now. So there's so many guys that make St. Louis their permanent home that, that have helped grow the game. Um, I, I think you probably are aware of this, but when, uh, when, when your name was announced to uh, run Team Canada, immediately various hockey puck analysts started projecting what the roster would look like. And I don't think I'm wrong here, John, but the consensus was this might be a less experienced, younger roster than we may have been used to in previous years. Would you say that's accurate? Yeah, I think, I think, I think, I, I mean, I actually, I think Doug probably endorsed that too, right, Doug? Yeah, for sure. I think that your, your, your turnover happens every year. And because we were going from uh, 14 to 22 and missing 18, a lot of those players that would have got their feet wet in, in 18 that would have been asked to take a much bigger role in 22 are going to have to enter taking a bigger role. Mm -hmm. That's just the reality of it. They're, you know, 
there's so many great young players. And, and you, if you look at the players that played in the, uh, the World Cup of Hockey, you know, a lot of those guys are, are, are going are gonna to take that step to play for that young guns team. And a lot of the, if you go back probably to the 2010 at latest, 2012 to 2018, World Junior teams, if you look at who played for, for all those countries, a lot of those players are going to come from there that, that weren't obviously don't have Olympic experience. So I, I think that all countries are going to have a, a fresh set of players coming in. And Hockey Canada was very fortunate to sort of give this flag to that group that played in North Dakota <laughs> mm-hmm. and say, okay, for the next decade, you guys just take this and we'll just follow along and you guys yeah. keep winning gold, winning gold, winning gold, and we'll all be in it together. Uh, and that group had a great run, but obviously there, you know, there, there hopefully be a couple of players from that team, but it's not going to be like it was in, in 10 and 14 in the world cup where there's that many from that one team that has familiar familiarity with each other. How many coaches have called? Uh, not many coaches called it. It's coaches agents have called. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's a, it's going to be a, it's, it's like the players. There's, there's going to be a long list of guys that we can choose from. And I think like, like any staff, it's not, you know, and, and you guys know, you talk to them. There's some coaches that are wired to be a head coach that are, that wouldn't make good assistant coaches. And some coaches that are head coaches, yeah. Uh, would would make good assistant coaches. Uh, you know, it's like we all got to play together in the sandbox, and we got to find the right guy to, to lead them. And then and then you have to input guys that are especially on running the D, the power play, the penalty kill, but also are open enough to share. What what I've learned in, in these international events is the the people that get are are one and done in this. Is if if you're not allowed to to be honest and share about your not only about your players but about your philosophies to help us win. There, there are certain things you, you just have to bury your soul if you work for Hockey Canada because you're there for one reason. Did you, now, just on that, because I think I think the players have to be in the same boat. That You know, guys that are, were, are superstars that always have the puck are not going to always have the puck this time, and they're going to have to learn to share too. Um, but uh, it, did, did that come into you picking your, uh, your management team too? Guys like Ron Francis and, and Kenny Holland? Yeah, I think a little bit like like we were talking about. It was nice to. Uh, it was important to have Ken on the staff because he had been there, uh, you know, riding shotgun with Steve Eisenman uh, for a number of years at two Olympics. Uh, you know, we worked the World Cup together. Uh, but it's also you need fresh blood. You need that next generation that's going to take over. So that, that brings Ronnie Francis in. That brings Don Sweeney in, and then Roberto Luongo, which is. Uh, uh, someone that's just recently played. So you try and touch all the bases when you're, when you're putting these staffs together. And how did the, how did the Luongo thing come about? Was, was, was that your idea? Was it, or did somebody suggest it? Because that, that, of all the guys, uh, that one was the little one that was a little bit of an eyebrow raiser for, for lots of people. Yeah. I, I'm a big believer in, in knowing what I don't know and, and, uh, and not, telling the experiences that I've never had and that that's stepping on the ice at that level. And so I've always liked whether it's in Dallas or in St. Louis or with internationals have someone that been there, done that recently that can relate to these players. Uh, then, then you look at obviously the most important position. So who had those characteristics of guys that have recently retired that played, and then you want them in the game. It's, it's one thing to bring someone outside the game in there that doesn't have the resources during COVID to watch games 
you know, analytic departments are bigger. You know, Roberto has a lot of uh, resources at his disposal. Plus, he understands the most important position in the game. Uh, so he, uh, he he was an easy choice. And then, you know, the NHL has has been to three of the last four Olympics and he's been at all three of them. So mm-hmm. uh, hearing him talk about, you know, going as a, as a third guy, going as a second guy that became a starter and then potentially going as a starter that became a second guy. So, uh, and, and I saw how he handled two of those three with grace. I wasn't in Torino. So uh, he's, he's a perfect, he's a perfect fit, I think, to, to add to our, our group. And, uh, you know, in, in today's society, you know, I looked at Kenny and myself and Don Sweeney, we had zero followers on Twitter. So we had to get our Twitter base up there. So we had to bring uh, Louie in. <laughs> well, so here's a question. Um, I, I think I'm right on this. Historically, most of the assistant coaches for Team Canada's have been head coaches in the NHL. I don't think I'm wrong in, in suggesting that. That's right, yeah. Um, is there, is that, do you, do you think that is the normal, acceptable direction to go? Or does it make any sense to look at assistants um, who maybe have had success with a particular specialty? I'm just wondering if you have a, a philosophy about this at all, Doug. Well, I, th- I think a philosophy is, you, is it, it's, it's the head coaches that get the first look. But if you look at the, 2014, Ralph Kruger was on that staff and he came with just, just strictly a European background uh, of someone that knew the European players, that knew the tendencies of the coaching staff, not really the players, but, you know, not all the players, but a majority are going to come from the NHL. So I think as management, we're going to know them, but we don't know the coaches. So you need someone to go to the Cariela Cup. You need someone to go to some of these different tournaments that, that can understand this is how this, the philosophy of this guy, this is what he works at, whether it's a Swedish coach or the Finnish coach. And uh, I'm not saying we'll have that again, but I thought it was a benefit for, for Sochi. Um, but also it works off of, okay, you're going to be the head coach. You know, John, you're the head coach what do you need to fill out the canvas? What, right. you know, what, what areas do you, and then you go to work on, on trying to create that staff. But it, I, I've thought about that quite a bit, Bob, is like, if you're a great assistant coach in one area, uh, you're going to have the respect of the players. And if you have that, they just want to win. They don't, they, they want the proper information. They don't want information overload. And that's one thing that the coaching staff I've, I've been around have always done a great job is there's, there's the preparation, you know, the, um, what is left on the cutting room floor, I guess, is there's a ton of stuff left on the cutting room floor that doesn't get put to the players because in an event like this, you have to be careful not, not for information overload. You know, it's really interesting to me. Hockey is one of the few sports where um, the assistant coaches don't have any additional designation beside that title. They're assistant coaches. And the average player or an average fan may not know what that assistant coach does, what his expertise is, et cetera, sure. et cetera. Now that, that does happen, but you're right. Well, okay. Baseball, you know who the hitting coach is, you know who yeah. the pitching coach is, uh, football, you, every single sure. coach has some designation. So we know exactly what he looks after. Why, why is that never evolved in hockey? Any idea? I think it's, it's a, it's a more of a fluid team sport. I, I think like certainly when I wa- when I watch baseball and, and I watch football, those are great sports for analytics because the whole play lasts five or six seconds. Yeah. You got time. Uh, if, if they, yeah. If the guy's got to run a hundred yards, he's doing it in 11 seconds. And then there's a whistle. Everybody regroups in the exact same spot and starts again. 
where, where hockey just isn't, isn't formulated for that. I think you can find statistics to say whatever you want in hockey, and we do use them. Uh, but it's becoming more and more like that behind the scenes. Uh, again, dating ourselves, you know, they used to have a goalie consultant that yeah. would come in once every, once every month, take the guy out for a couple of beers, make sure he was still sane and then go back and, and, and leave. And now, now you have a goalie department, you know, we have a, an NHL goalie coach, then you have a minor league goalie coach, then you right. have a, a, a scout for the goalies. Right now we have a skill development coach, we have a skating coach. So I don't think it's as pronounced publicly, but I think underneath the current, there's a lot going there, but I don't think it affects our game. So if you're going to go to game tonight at seven o'clock, there's only going to be X amount of coaches there at five o'clock. But usually at home the next day, there's usually a couple more floating around. By the way, it, it should be, we should mention uh, when you talk about Olympics and assistant coaches, uh, there was no greater assistant coach in Olympic history than Wayne Fleming. And what Wayne did for Pat Quinn in 2002 and, and the success that, that he had, uh, unfortunately he passed away, but Wayne was the, the ultimate assistant coach uh, for Canada over how many, how many Olympics and how many world championships. He did a, a marvelous job. But, so what's your timeline on naming a coach? I'd say post playoffs. Uh, I think just because of the condensed schedule that we're all working under, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's always a great honor to, to be named a, a part of the coaching staff, but as a Canadian it also comes with, with responsibilities of media responsibilities. And then quite honestly, your, your mind does start to move around. I think we'll have our, our coach in place in our mind uh, before that point, but I don't think there's any sense of, of, adding extra pressure to a guy as he's trying to prepare a team for, for a playoff run. Uh, and I said, it jokingly with a caveat, unless they're playing St. Louis at some point, you know, and I, I, I can get him off his game doing it that, but <laughs> mo mo most likely it'll be, it'll come post playoffs. Uh, before we let you go, I, um, I kind of a two part question. Uh, number one, is there a whiteboard anywhere at your, in your office and your home, uh, that's got a list of players on it that you have uh, started scribbling in the past week to start the process of trying to think of who you um, might be looking at. Uh, that's part one. And part two is if there is, did you start at the day you, or the minute after you got uh, got hired for the job? Well, uh, there there is a whiteboard and it does change. Uh, interestingly though, Bob, when the NHL and the NHLPA agreed to the last CBA, uh, this was the first time they put in there that, that their priority is to go to the Olympics. It right. wasn't an afterthought. Uh, and that's the first time I heard from Tom Rennie. So we've actually been doing this prior to last playoffs. The, the group that's here, we, we invited Roberto into the group after the bubble. Uh, but Kenny and I and Donnie and Ronnie, uh, we watched the playoffs. We met at, we all put our, our ghost roster team in. We saw where the synergy was. We watched the first round, had a meeting. We watched the second round, had a meeting. We, we didn't do the third round until the, until the playoffs were over. And, and we saw those players. And then, so then everyone had their ghost rosters uh, and they're not all the same. And then you start the season and uh, you know, players that you had on there might not be great starts, but you know, I don't, but maybe I am talking out of school, like Tyler Foley wasn't on the radar screen right? as an Olympian. Then all of a sudden he's a goal, a game guy, uh, a player in our, our group, a young player, Jordan Cairo, you know, was in no one. Now he's just a player. You got to watch Suzuki, a player you just better watch. So that, that list is always changing. And, and again, 
working with a, a Canadian staff that I have here, we talk about it in the mornings. We're just having coffee. I said, the, the, the problem with they're saying, how's it going? I said, it's, it's interesting because I think we probably all have around 15 to 18 guys the same. It's picking the next five or six right. out of 40 guys. And all 40 of those guys think they're in the top 15. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's just the dynamics of, of knowing what your decisions we're going to have to make. But I do go back on, if you had a choice, a choice to make, I'll take this challenge. I tell you what, the, creating the ghost list during the bubble was a good idea because you needed something to do. You did. You, did. <laughs> you needed. You needed something to do. So, and the other thing that that hasn't really been uh, widely publicized is the size of the ice rink in Beijing. You're going to be playing on a North American style rink. Uh, you know, 200 by 85, not 200 by 100. Uh, and uh, if I check my Olympic records, Canada seems to do well on 200 by 85. Well, we're, we're certainly excited that it's NHL because of their, you know, it just takes another uh, variant that we don't have to worry about. Uh, but, you know, every, I, I think, again, so many NHL players are playing from that. Again, we go back into the coaching. It might be harder for international coaches that don't play on this ice to prepare their players because they don't have that. Uh, right. Uh, that understanding but at the end of the day uh, I, I sort of go back to everything I sort of when I'm putting this together goes through the world juniors who've been dominant teams at the world juniors over the last decade they're likely going to be the teams that 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 rise up here you're always going to have a, a somebody come from from left field like you look at the German team right now and they do have a few good players and you get a few good players and a hot goalie and that means an early exit for somebody. So you, you, you have to be prepared for everybody right now, but it's, it's going to be a great event. And the ice surface, uh, uh, I'm not saying it works into our advantage. It certainly not, doesn't work as a disadvantage. Right. Uh, Mr. Armstrong, of course, we wish you uh, success with the St. Louis Blues um, over the balance of this season and longer term success with uh, the Canadian Olympic team. And hopefully we'll have an opportunity to chat before this season ends. And uh, then who knows uh, before the uh, Olympic Games. We uh, thank you very much for the time today and stay safe. Guys, thanks a lot for having me on. I enjoy listening to you and uh, stay safe to you and all your listeners. Doug Armstrong, General Manager of the St. Louis Blues and Canada's Olympic hockey team. If you like the show, subscribe to your preferred podcast platform. For Shannon McCowan, have a nice weekend. See you Monday. Atlas Butler is built to keep you comfortable, and our plumbing services are no exception. You can rely on Atlas Butler for trusted, convenient plumbing and drain service. Our expert plumbers and drain specialists can take care of anything, from a broken water heater to a clogged drain. Call today, get it fixed today. That's our pledge to you. Atlas Butler is at your service call.